Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorization number TP slash 01005. Hello and welcome to the Spirit of Sport on Sydney's newest home of sport, 1170 SEN. I'm your host, Timmy Manor. I've got my co-host here, Benny Little, and I'm so glad you're able to join us here tonight. Well, tonight my special guest, a former dual code international who represented Australia across both rugby league and union. He's one of the most talented players I've ever had the chance to play with and has one of the most decorated careers across a 17-year career. Over his career, he played just under 200 NRL games represented New South Wales 12 times and played for Australia four times. His NRL career was highlighted in 2001 where he would score 18 tries, including one in the grand final to help Newcastle sink my beloved Blue and Gold <laughs> Eels. Um, in 2008, he moved to Rugby Union where he would go on to play for both the Waratahs and the Wallabies, joining the likes of Wendell Saylor, Lottie Takiri and Matty Rogers to have played for Australia in both league and union. He's a truly great human being, and we're so lucky to have him on our show tonight. Please make him feel welcome. Tamana T. Tahu, what's doing? <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks for the intro. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> long-winded intro. Thanks I've for also, the raps. I think I need to intro my, my co-host as well. I've got yes. Benny Little. Yeah. He, for those that don't know him, he's one of the, the finest protégés of... <laughs> Local basketball talent in the Hills oh, District. <laughs> Benny Lee, thanks for, thanks for joining me, Benny. Yeah, it's an honour and privilege to be here, Timmy. Thank you. And Tamana, can't wait to hear a bit of your story and what's been going on in your life. Yeah, thanks for having me, lads. I appreciate it. T- First show, eh? T- episode, episode one. Let's get the elephant in the room out of the way. <laughs> now, I, I know a lot of people watch documentaries and they'll end up turning vegan pretty quickly. <laughs> you're, you're one of the true vegans because you've been vegan for how long now? Well, um, I was vegetarian for about, I think it was about six, and then we went vegan for about three. And there's so many so many names now in, in, in this, uh, to call yourself something, but we, we've gone back to pescatarians. Wow. So what we started mean? getting into fish. Back oh, okay, fish. okay. So you can have some fish. Yeah, but just meat and dairy. Yeah. Is uh yeah well, yeah well every time I go to the um <laughs> cafe with you the, y- your orders are getting more and more interesting. But <laughs> it's uh it, it, you know what it's like I said it's there's a lot of not fake vegans but people that go for like a week or two and they give up. Yeah. Um. But yeah, those listening to Marta, he, he's a, this is a real deal and he's uh you got to pick your right cafes yeah. because um you know six eight seven Carl and uh, me uh that at North Parramatta they they know you know what I what I like and what I what I don't yeah, like. So when I walk in there, it's pretty much, yeah, I've got my own orders. So I'm pretty lucky. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, they know what I like as well. That yeah. I go to that cafe a fair bit and it's usually amongst the sweet pantry in there. <laughs> so usually there's a tiramisu freshly made with my name on it. Yeah. Um, Benny, are you, you very nice coffee. What's, what's your nutrition like? Are you, yeah, uh, no, I'm on a, um, I'm on a steep learning curve with my nutrition at the moment. My wife is actually starting, studying nutrition. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, so wow. it's a, 
it's a tough gig at the house at the moment. So yeah, what did you say? You were pescapellian. What was it? <laughs> pescatarian. Yeah, yeah. So I'm up for a bit of pescatarian myself. <laughs> oh well, you know what, guys? This uh, this this show it's a bit different to your, your standard, you know, talking sport kind of show. We want to get a little bit deeper and and tell you. I've I've played with a lot of players, but your your story is is pretty incredible. Like not just what you've achieved in your career, but also the impact you made off the field. The, the changes to people's lives you've made, the changes to your life you've made. Can you just give us a bit of insight? Let's go right back to the start. Can you tell us a bit about, you know, where you grew up and, and what your upbringing was like and how you got involved in sport in the first place? Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a, a, a long one, but uh, I'll, I'll Mate, hopefully... Mate, we're all easy. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, my my mum's Aboriginal. She's Indigenous, and my my father he's he's uh, Maori. He's Maori, uh, New Zealand um, Indigenous. So very fortunate to have two Indigenous cultures. Um, I was born in Melbourne, um, and went to school there for a bit, and then it was just back and forth. My mum's from Burke, actually, so a small town out west, and um, yeah, it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a long, yeah. She, she, we we're, we're back and forth between um, Burke and Melbourne. So from there, um, when I first um, got introduced to Jesus, is when my mum and dad split up. So um, I was in grade three, I think, at the time. It was a pretty traumatic time at uh, at, at that time. I was sort of in the midst of it. Mm. And my dad, um, you know, going back to his days, um, he was a Christian. Him and his mum used to. Um, go door knocking around Matamata, which is about a few hours away from Rotorua, and uh, preaching the word. So, um, I think in his darkest times, which was through a split, he's in the middle of nowhere um, by himself, and he's got this boy with him. Mm. Um, my other sister went and lived with my mum. So, uh, at night, I used to sleep with him, and um, he used to read the Bible, and that's when the first time I got introduced to, to Jesus. So, um, and and from there, it was always um, times in Dad's darkest times where I remember looking back. Now that um, you know there was so much um, trauma ties and stuff, you know, with him in relationships and um, us getting kicked out and me moving around a lot. Um, where, you know, he found strength in Jesus and, you know, him showing me, um, you know, reading the Bible to me. And, um, yeah, there, there was some traumatic times with him. He, he found a new partner. Um, it was a pretty violent one. Um, we got kicked out a few times. I remember living in Orange and it would be like minus one degrees and we would get kicked out of the house and we had to walk over the other side of town in Orange and sleep. And I'll be waking up at two, three o'clock in the morning after a, you know, a, 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 a drunken fight. So you know, from there, knowing that, yeah, through those years, um, I was with him. I remember a couple of times, you know, had to sleep in the park with him. But at times, he would open that Bible up and you know, read it to me. So from there, you know, it, it got a bit, you know, too much for me. You know, when I'm a kid in year three, year four. Um, you know, putting up with that. So I was moving back and forth to mum and dad, especially, mo um, you know, going down to Melbourne as well. So, you know, a kid that might be, what, 11, maybe 10 years old, 11 years old, travelling from Burke, 
to other locations, you know, Grafton, Byron Bay, um, but uh, travelling from there to, to Melbourne, so catching Greyhound buses at that time. So, and I was going down to my older sister from my dad's first marriage, and, um, you know, she was a Christian as well. Um, so, but uh, from there, it was back and forth, catching, what, 20, 24-hour bus rides, you know, at 10 years old, you know, sitting at bus stations at 3 o'clock in the morning, not knowing what's going to happen, you know, hungry. And then, you know, all through my years, I was always trying to find somewhere stable and there was just no no stable. I was always couch surfing a lot and, and going to people's houses and just realising, you know, when, when your time is up, you know, you, you, you've extended your stay and it was like, okay, T, get up, let's start moving mm. until around about, you know, um, I got to high school actually. Um, I heard about these um, Aboriginal hostels that were were happening around around New South Wales, and there was one in Dubbo which I went to, and then um, left that one. That wasn't a really good one, and then um, went to Newcastle, and um, yeah, it, for me it was more of a, a stable environment for me because I I didn't have that in my family, so trying to find a place where there was a warm bed. There was a, a feed and, you know, you might get 5 or $10 pocket money at the end of the week if you've done your chores. Wow. So, um, you know, it, it was tough. It was, it, was, it was hard because at the time, you know, the teenager and as a young kid, you're trying to find stability, you're trying to find, you know, love in the house and, um, you know, it, it, was, it was, you know, a, a journey, a journey. Mm. And then, you know, I got to Newcastle at... 15, I think it was, in 95, uh, the good old days, the 90s, <laughs> <laughs> yep. but uh, from there, it was, yeah, um, playing a bit of basketball, as we spoke about Ben earlier, yeah. um, you know, third division football, um, I was borrowing shoes pretty much, I was borrowing people's basketball shoes, I was buying, borrowing people's football shoes because I couldn't afford them, mm. and one day I, I missed school to go to a... Um, a uh, trial, it wasn't a trial, so it was a zone trial, a uh, schoolboys trial, and um, I, I was borrowing a mate who was in the opens, and I was in the under 15s, 16s, so we would just swap over, you know, after each each game, you know, so I had a pair of boots, and um, I was standing at the cafeteria, uh, at the canteen, and there was this old fella handing out, um, handing out invitations, uh, free invitations to go travel to Newcastle Knights. All the boys started grabbing them, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just grab one, you know, because all the boys are going. And that's where the, the journey began. So looking back on it to where, you know, my dad, you know, learning from his mum being introduced to Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, he went through his trials and tribulations to where, you know, he come over to Australia by himself, you know, had two kids, you know, to my mum and, you know, him being a, in a dysfunctional family as well. So he was fostered at a young as, as a young kid as well. So back in the day, they, although they call it fungi, but what would happen is, is that if your mum's sister couldn't have babies, then what the mum would do was pass a baby on to their sister. Mm-hmm. And I, I reckon it would have been pretty traumatising to him, you know, mm. to being let go. 
from his original mama. So, you know, that's another story, but just his problems and what he went through coming here and then, you know, coming into another relationships and not really, um, you know, for me, you know, he, he was my father. But um, going through all those different scenarios with him and his relationships and my mum's relationships, you know, couch surfing. But um, the biggest thing is that when I was in year three, at a, at a dark time in my dad's life, that was the first time where I, I got introduced to Jesus. Mm. And I think when we look at all those different events that have happened, you know, catching Greyhound buses, you know, from Melbourne at three o'clock in the morning by yourself, there was times where, you know, I was going into neighbourhoods around that time when there were serial killers that were around as well and people were being murdered. Yeah. So the times where... I felt something, it just felt like oh, there was something with me all the time mm. because there was always a time to where something would tell me, run. Or if there was boys that were being you know, up to some stuff where they were stealing or, or doing something, if I was in those groups, there was always something telling me, go the other way. And um, just the direction that I came in to where I ended up in Newcastle and given an opportunity you know, it was always Jesus yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. It was always Jesus that was there from the start when I got introduced to him to when he was walking with me all these times where there might have been times where, you know, it, it could have been either way, mm. me going to jail, me being kidnapped, me being murdered, to where now I'm in, you know, people are starting to look at me as this Jewel International and, mm. you know, this, this kangaroo's origin player. But before then, it was all Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard it said that there's, um, you know, purpose in our pain. and You can learn a lot from your diff- our different journeys. Um, what, what did, what did, what did, looking back on your um, journey, like it was, it was tough and obviously developed a, a, a freakish resilience in you personally. What do you reckon are some of the lessons that, that you, were, you were learning in those, those dark times or, or some revelations you've had as an adult looking back on it now? Knowing who the father is. Right. That's what broke broke my my thought process on blaming my own father, you know, for, for not looking after me or, or not not doing not being a real father to me, you know, and it, it did and he passed away in two thousand and five, so I didn't really have a really good um enough time with him. You know, he died when I, when I was 24 and it was always playing on my head, you know, mm. about, you know, my father, um, you know, coming from a dysfunctional family and then we having a dysfunctional family and until, you know, someone taught me who the real father was. Right. It was the father in heaven and when I looked at that and then looked how much, you know, the reason why God put my earthly father in, in front of in, in with me was because you know he chose my father you know he chose me to be the him to be you know the father of me mm. so it made it a lot easier because then i realized okay you know god was that's that's god's son mm. you know he had troubles but he dealt with his troubles and now for me i don't have to look at my generational curses or my iniquities in what you know, I learned good and bad with my father, but now I can look towards 
my real father. Mm. That gives me order in my life now. And that's the difference between, um, you know, knowing who the real father is. And especially, you know, if you come from a dysfunctional family, all single parents, you know, um, I, I feel like they can relate to a lot of, a lot of kids, a lot of people who don't know who the real father is and, you know, how you can, you know, stop not only their generational curses but live in peace as well. Yeah, yeah. I remember um, I was really lucky enough to play with you in 2010. Uh, I was only still young, I was still a kid and, and you were one of my idols growing up so like to be in the same team as you, I was still pitching myself. But you were pretty, pretty reserved. I remember you used to like come to training, get the job done and go home. So we didn't, I didn't really know you that much that in that year we played together. You fast forward, oh, it would have been probably eight, nine years later and I'm sitting in the back of church one day and I saw a guy in the row next to me who looked exactly like you. But last time I heard you were in America doing stuff there and it wasn't until after the service I went and saw you and it was you and we started chatting and you know, he started telling me about you know, your experiences in America and how you know, your family got plugged into church over there. Mm. Can you just kind of give us a bit of a background on, on how, uh, what happened in America and, and how you found that whole experience? Yeah, um, you know, during my footy career too, you know, and I think yeah, we spoke about it before, you know, it was just a, uh, you know, a roller coaster ride. You know, not really strong in the faith. Um, you know, um, as I as I got into football, um, but you know, being in Denver, and that was probably one of the loneliest times that I had by myself because I left my family behind. Um, so you know, it, it took a lot. F um, you know, a lot from me to where. I was in this roller coaster ride with my faith. I was always a spiritual person, and you know, all the time where you'll see me come in and train and get home, it was because I had three babies at home and, <laughs> and yeah. a wife. So you yeah. know, they were they were always my my uh, forefront of my mind of you know trying to make a better life for for my mm. family because I didn't have that. And um, well, you know, you know, most of the boys were out, you know, partying at you know yeah. 18, 19, 20, 21 year old boys, whereas. Mm. Um, you know, I had my first, my first kid at 18, so that was my, f my focus. But, yeah, when I was in Denver, I left the kids and my wife home and um, it got really hard. I was away for six months and it broke me. It broke me. So um, I, was, I, was, I was broken at this time and I was going to this church, actually. It was up the road from where I was staying. So I was playing rugby professionally in, in the U.S. We got to open it up and I was playing for Denver and... We're in uh, a city called, called called Glendale, which is inside the city of Denver. And um, yeah, after about the fifth or sixth month, I was I was struggling, and I started going to this church, and I was rocking up, and I was waiting there because I was going after training. So in the afternoons, I'd go there and for about a week or two weeks. I think it was about two or three weeks actually. No one wasn't turning up. Yeah. And here I was, screaming out for help, asking mm. God, can someone just come? you know, and, and help me, you know, I'm struggling, but no one was coming. <laughs> and it was like, what is this church? It's nice and flash and, you know, like it's got the bells and whistles, this church, <laughs> but no one's even turned up to this. So mm, yeah. I'll sit there until like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. Yeah, No one's coming, go home, go to sleep, wake up, go to train and do the same thing again. And um, I used to have a um, lunch with this, um, this uh, English dude who was... Uh, um, he was doing all the junior programs or junior development programs for Colorado, and he was atheist. 
So we would just go and have empanadas and stuff, um, you know, or go and have lunch and, you know, we'd just yarn about rugby and, you know, how to set things up because I was thinking about, you know, setting up a business up over there. You, you actually had a really good year that year, didn't you? you won yeah, we ended up winning yeah, it, yeah, yeah. So yeah. first team to win it, yeah. Yeah, good. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you just uh, drop, that, drop that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah drop yeah. that one. Yeah. yeah, you had to win at the end of the day. But, yeah, um, yeah we oh, <laughs> he said, oh, it's my birthday, you know, uh, this week, you want to come to it? I said, yeah, sweet, where is it? And he said, it's like top, top golf, you know, big golfing range. Said, okay, sweet. You turn up there. There's him and this other bloke that turns up, and he's a rugby player for, for Gwendale. And I was like, what is this birthday party? You know, I don't really want to be here. You know, I'm, I'm sad. You know, I'm depressed. I need I need to go back to this church and try and find out, you know, if anyone can help me. And this bloke, he was a bit of a larrikin. He was just laughing away and carrying on and joking. And, you know, I thought, I, you know, I'll just keep my distance away from him. And, you know, we just play golf. Yeah. Um, so he says, oh, what do you do? And I said, I'll play football. And um, I said, oh, what do you do? And he said, I'm a pastor. And I fell off my chair. I fell off my chair straight away because in that moment, for two weeks, I was crying out for God. Mm. And it took an atheist to introduce me to a, a pastor. Wow. Yeah, wow. And I just fell off my chair and I said, man, I've been praying for someone to come and, come and help me because I'm struggling. And we're still mates now. Yeah, he runs a church over in Denver. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 So then you, you moved from there to San Antonio, Texas? Yeah, so I come home, pick my family okay. up. Yep. Yeah, and we went down to Texas for some reason. I don't know why, but... Um, Mate, there was I know why. I told my <laughs> Texas, <laughs> Benny, you know this. Yeah, you know yeah, this very yeah. well. Texas is uh, still one of my favourite places in the world. Country fried steak. Oh, brisket. <laughs> mate. Oh, the barbecues. I'll, there's this one steakhouse in Dallas I will literally one day fly to <laughs> just for the night, yeah. have dinner, yeah. and come home. I, it, 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 it has my heart for that place. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So you end up in San Antonio, and your family goes, do they automatically plug into church with you? Is that... Yeah, well, we had one of our um, a, a bloke that we knew, and he had some work down there for me. There was a um, a, uh, a rugby team down there. It was a local one. Um, a lot of military, ex-military would go there, especially the expats would go. Yeah. But um, they wanted me to go down there and help with them, with um, just developing, you know, programs, training programs. Um, you know, help them start up a college program, um, and and junior programs as well. So. Um, it was just more of the the football department sort of stuff they wanted me to to do, and um, you know we got up things up and running in in a short while, which was awesome. But uh, we were just going to different kind of churches and and testing them all out because in Australia you go to every corner, there's nearly a pub on every corner. Mm. You, know, you go to Texas, there's a church on every every yeah, corner. Yeah. It's just the unbelievable. The Bible Belt, yeah, yeah it's the Bible yeah, Belt. Yeah. yeah, it's it's awesome, you know, and. We were just trying out a few churches and we couldn't really find one. But we'd always go past because my, um, my, my kids went to middle school and high school. So we've got high school all the way through from year 7 to year 12 in America. Year 7, I think, to year 9 mm. is middle school. 10 to 12 is, is high school. So my, my kids' um, middle school that we used to go to, we'd always drive past there after church to go to HEB, which is a, a Woolies um, of uh, variation of of Texas, and there was always these church signs and um, banners outside the church. You know, I was like, you know, one day we might go in there. One day, mm. for some reason, yeah, something 
really strong was over us. He said, we've got to go and check this out. There wasn't many cars. You know, it was pretty quiet. We go in and um, a Canadian pastor introduces, uh, you know, we meet a, a Canadian pastor at the door. And he said, oh, yeah, where are you guys from? We said, we're from Australia. And he said, wow, there's a worship team over there. He said, they're from Duneside. Sydney. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, from oh, Duneside. Oh, eh? Yeah. 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 Yeah, so one of the ladies, and she used to be, I used to uh, listen to on Video Hits, actually. Uh-huh. Video Hits is like MTV, everyone, if you're yeah. yeah. listening to it. <laughs> rage, rage, rage. Yeah, yeah rage. Yeah. 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 yeah, so they used to be called the Renegade Funk Train, so they're all a hip-hop oh. band. Oh. Do you know, oh, do you know That's them? That's funny. No, but I know Tim Manor's actually been called the Renegade Funk <laughs> 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 Guilty. Guilty. Oh, Guilty. 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 So that's where they get it from. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the Renegade Funk Train. Yeah, yeah so it was just, uh, yeah, the, the lady, her and her brother, started up this rap group. You know, mm. and I used to love them. They were awesome. Mm. And yeah, she met a husband who was, I think at the time, was touring with NSYNC. He was a guitar player. And, yeah, right. you know, they went through all their trials and tribulations and went you know, into a dark place and got found. And, and out, of all the play, out of all the places in San Antonio, like there's a million people in population just in the city. You've got all these mega churches around in every corner. But here's this church that uses a school cafeteria yeah. for a church. You know, sets up by bringing, you know, trailers in to set the platforms and everything up. And there's a Canadian pastor and there's, uh, you know, a, a family from, from Duneside. And it just blew us off, you know, yeah. that God was with us, you yeah. know, at a, at a time where my wife comes from a strong family. Being away from her family, you know, it, it sort of, you know, messed with her mind a bit. But we found comfort in that, you know, and then we become servers and, you know, getting up at 5.30, the kids, you know, they were at school, but still getting up at 5 in the morning to, to go and unload the trucks and the trailers, you know, yeah, and nice. we just got so, um, you know, strong in our faith as a family in Texas, yeah, but, mm. um, yeah, and the other one was, that, uh, you know, my, my physio at the Newcastle Knights at the time was a physio for the Spurs, so right. we got to go to a few Spurs games and, you know, Paddy come along and, you know, we got to, you know, get a good relationship with him yeah my daughter yeah. turned 18 at the time and he paid for my daughter's birthday uh oh, cool. dinner so oh, wow. yeah there's yeah. so many memories that we we had over there and yeah. it w- the thing was that it united us as a, as a family you know that um we had we had god yeah mm. how did you go with your transition out of um being an athlete into into other work were you kind of ready for that big that change or how did you handle that no, nah, it was hard. Mm. Took me a long, long time. Um, it's the hardest thing, uh, you know. People think that you know, as an athlete, that we're it's it's easy just to just to jump out and, and fall into something else. But when you give a hundred percent to something that it's on performance and result mm. um, and results, you, you you just can't focus on anything else but um, trying to be the best. Um, you know, there's no second job. There's a lot of criticism, not only from the media, um, you know, family, friends, your coaches. You're always being criticised on everything. It gets really hard to where you've been scheduled or, or to know your schedule from, you know, when you wake up to when you finish, when your games are coming up, what promos you need to do. And then after... 16 years or 17 years if you've been in the game that long it's pretty much your your trade 
has been taken away from you and there's no other trade. So mm. it'd be like a a carpenter mm. does a trade for 16 years and he's the best carpenter. And then after that 16 years, I say, oh, we don't need carpentry anymore. You need to go and find another another job. Because that carpenter has studied and worked in that industry and there's always been work for him mm. to where now there's nothing. So it's like, well, what do you do with yourself? H- how do you find yourself? You know, what is your... What is your your destiny, or what is your purpose? Um, you know the, the the fame and the entertainment and the lights they fade away mm. um, from the time when you know you would be given everything to where now you're fighting for everything. Yeah. Um, it was it was hard. Like I'm yeah, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. It, it was the hardest time of my life. Yeah, well. And I'm only just starting to, you know, um, feel comfortable where I am now. Yeah. Looking back on it, you've mentioned some really troubling times like growing up as a, a youngster, but then even, you know, you mentioned having a few bouts of depression now. Looking looking back on it now and for all of our audience listening, um, what are some things that have helped you when you're un- under that pressure, when you're feeling those intense emotions? How do you kind of get through it these days? Um, give it all give it all to give it all to the father. Mm. Put it on his altar, put it at his feet. Mm. and and move forward and uh seek all the time you know if if it's if it was a dream or if it's um a job that I'm you know I'm chasing for um you know cuz I'm still dreaming big at the moment right but I got to give whatever I'm struggling with fleshly mm. at his feet so I can take that load of weight off my shoulders and let him sort it out because if I start sort, I've I'll, I'll tried to sort things out in the past, and they just didn't work. <laughs> they got harder and harder and harder. I was like, my wife said, "Man, you gotta, you gotta give it to God." You know, yeah. like you can't keep on doing that. So now, I've learnt, you know, um, you know, Jesus. You know, looking back in the history too of what we had growing up, is that Jesus was always walking with me, mm. and with my problems that I have, having God sort that out for me, and, and listening to the Holy Spirit, and hope. And, and waiting for, you know, a sign or a message, you know, and not move at things really quickly. Try and sit back and be patient a little bit more. Mm. Mm. See, there's not there's not much patience in football. It's just like, you know, go hard, results, criticism, go hard, you know, lift the biggest weight, you know, crack the best times in fitness, get out in the field, um, attack everything that comes next to you. So it's just, yeah, it's just constantly... You, you're in this world where it's just performance-based driven, but now stepping out of it, it's like I can't be performance-based driven all the time, mm. um, especially if I'm a one-man band. You know, you're around a you know a professional team, whereas you know the team now is you know Jesus. Yeah, right. Mm. Yeah, so I've learnt to, to to give that to him and and try and not try, but yeah, I have faith. Have mm. faith. Yeah. You, where do you see yourself, you know, in, a, in another five years' time? What's what's next for you? Or what's the next chapter look like? Um, well, I do have a few projects yeah. going on, and um, I'm sort of just, you know, again giving it to God and and letting Him, you know, guide me through the things. I'll, you know, not me trying to move through fleshly and and try and push the push the barrier. Um, waiting for doors and opportunities to open. You know, for example, the study that I'm doing with concussions, 
I started this in 2005 and now we're in 2021 and we're only just getting traction. So mm. the so endurance. This is fascinating, this thing as well. Like just give, can you give, like without going into too much detail, can you just the, the listeners at home a bit of an understanding of what you're kind of finding through this, uh, through this research? Yeah, so we've just been getting a lot of media traction at the moment through the Newcastle University. But what I've done was during that time when I was in America, or since 2005, I've always wanted to you know, evolve as an athlete. And there was a time when I um, was at Param- um, Newcastle Knights and I signed with Parramatta. And I was a winger, always known as a winger at Newcastle, but as a junior, I was a centre. And I wanted to get to that. So tackle technique was, was uh, something that I was weak and I wanted to evolve and, and try and master that. So I went and visited, a, when I signed with Parramatta actually, I was trying to think about, you know, how can I be good at defence? So I went to a, a mate who was a ex-UFC fighter. He taught me how to grapple, taught me how to, you know, do groundwork, how to take down and, um, you know, I thought about it, how to, how to manipulate it and try and use it in a rugby league game. And I had about five or six variations of tackle techniques and I would practice them out in the professional (laughs) (laughs) when I was playing the NRL or playing Origin or playing, you know, for Australia or the Wallabies. So um, a lot of trial and error. And, um, yeah, from there... I still remember the heat you did on (laughs) Dave Taylor. (laughs) Was he playing at Seattle or Broncos? You you were playing for Parra. And it was off the scrum, was it? I don't know where it was, but oh, I was, man. I was scared. Oh, <laughs> and Dave, for those that don't know, Dave Taylor is the, the, one of the biggest humans that's played our game. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. And and T just absolutely fl- – it was one of the best sh- shots I've ever seen in the game. But yeah. um, And you did you did heaps of those in your career. Like, I reckon if anyone's listening and they want to see, type <laughs> in some, go on YouTube, type in Tamana Tahu, big hits or Tamana <laughs> tackles, and some of the shots you've seen – is it's and that's why I think you're so suited to talk about tackling technique and and how to educate people on how to make the best quality tackles because you lived it like it's not like you're not someone in a, on a computer trying to educate someone on how to do it uh, without understanding how it actually works and we talked about it we've, we've talked about it in the past about yeah. you know wrestling coaches right and yeah. so many clubs have wrestling coaches and they, and the coaches swear by them like you know these let's do wrestling three times a week let's but how many wrestling coaches have actually gone out on a footy field and done what, like what you've done? Yeah, yeah it's so like different. Done. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so different. Work like in, and you can talk a bit about more in detail. But jujitsu, right, for example, or wrestling, you're on a mat, you're one meter from each other. There's you're you're forced to have to be in contact. Rugby yeah. league, you got 120 kilo guys sprinting at each other from 10 meters or 15 meters away from each other. You're never going to be that close contact. So, Oregon. You c- you couldn't find a more suited person to talk about this, and you know you're so switched on, and you had the right people around you. So I'm really excited to see the more that comes out of this research. Yeah, it's yeah. Well, you're right, Timmy. Like you think about wrestling and jujitsu, they're all weight divisions, so they're all the same height, same weight. You go on a rugby league field, and you got someone like uh, uh, Mitchell Moses. You know, you got Payne Hass running at him. You know, <laughs> 120 can step. He's yeah. running full tilt. You yeah. know, he's hitting what about 15, 16. 17k, maybe even 20, you know, in, in a sprint, and you've got a split second to go. Do I go low on him? Or do I go high on him? Do I get go I'll go back? Do I let someone <laughs> do it for me? <laughs> and I come in me. second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like with the studies that we're doing, and Newcastle University have jumped on board. Harvard University jumped on board. They gave us wow. some um, equipment through a professor who were using um, head acceleration monitors um, for NASA. 
um, and the NRL um, research or the medical board, um, you know, funded some of it as well. So we come up with variations of um, tackle techniques and we looked at body positioning and head positioning um, and then we got some um, crazy footballers to come and do it do it live and yeah we just they were just banging all day and we had you know a, a few come in but we had to get the data we had to get what is the acceleration on impact on mm. your head so whiplash and where is the body actually going um, not only when they're fresh but when they're fatigued as well what's their biomechanic you know, um, are they leaned over? You know, are they looking on the ground? And that's where um, Susie Edwards, who's our uh, biomechanics scientist from Newcastle University, she looked after all that. And we had so many volunteers and um, a lot of sports science um, students that come in. And um, it was, yeah, it's, it's a, it's it's God's it's God's dream, you know, like it. It's something that started in 2005 and we're in 2021 now mm. and we're only just starting to hear about concussions. Yep. We're only just starting to hear about the medical and scientific analysis of it and especially with um, this week, it's been massive with us is that we've been getting a lot of traction through the media as well. So um, it's only a God dream. So patience and endurance is uh, where it's at at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it seems like um, it's getting a lot of traction now. Uh, you mentioned you've had some pretty, you've been hit pretty hard a few times, and there was one in particular where you woke up, you didn't know where you were, two black eyes. Um, tell us about that, and wh- how yeah. was that the whole experience? Yeah, well, this was probably the main reason why I did get into it. So in two thousand and two, we're playing. I was playing for country in Bathurst. It was oh, a yeah. city country game, and um, it was yeah. I, I was in the centres, and if anyone doesn't know too much about um city country it's sort of like a lead up to uh, state of origin so yeah. usually they would select players out of city country to play origin so um and yeah i got picked in in the centers and brian smith was a coach at the time and uh yeah it was i was going in for a lower body tackle second half i think it was out of all the tackles that i'd done in my whole life this was the most memorable one and I I went in for a tackle and then the next thing I woke up was I was on the bench and I was like looking around. I was like, how did I get here? And I was asking the boys. I said, who hit me? And the boys said, what are you talking about? I said, who hit me? Because I thought someone ran on the field and hit me from behind. Yeah. King hit me. Mm. I said, what are you talking about? And then, yeah, I was trying to just gather my thoughts on how did I get from that tackle to the bench. So... To me, I was on autopilot. The body was moving, but the brain wasn't functioning. Yeah. And then all that week, I remember just having massive headaches. You know, I ended up having a broken nose and, you know, two black eyes. And yeah. it was, it had me thinking, you know, I was in a fog. I had headaches. And then I was thinking about, okay, I've got to change my tackle technique because the textbook tackle suited maybe a, a couple of foals, which might have been little foals. So what I heard around the traps was that Terry Randall, an ex-Manly player, Manly Seagull player, he was a tough man back in the 70s and 80s. Mm. He used to execute this tackle, and everyone's gone, that's the, that's the tackle, that's the textbook tackle. But I met his daughter, and she said that, you know, he, he struggles, you know, his memory loss, and she thinks it was a tackling, but she said he got knocked out a lot of times, but it was only in a short period in his time 
where he was executing it. Yeah. Mm. And everyone's gone, that's the tackle right there. And I think that's where we've, we've brought that lower body textbook tackle. In. Well, yeah. Well, I'd, unlike you, I, ne- I wasn't renowned for big hits. Right? So I, I was I was safe in defense. Like I could always wrestle someone and catch them. And I never really... But every now and then, I used to go low. And I, if I can get under them well enough, I'd be able to pick them up and, and put them on their back. But it always left my head vulnerable. Like I always put... Because in the speed of the game, you can never... like. It's hard to decide where your head's going to be. And we're playing against Cowboys one game. We'll get them flogged. And we did a kickoff. I just wanted to put off a big hit. I just wanted to do something to help, you know, help us lift. And and it was James Tano running. And I've gone low. And he's hit. My head's hit his hip. And I still remember speaking to Thurston. And Thurston telling me that um, he could hear me snoring on the field. Like I was like out. Wow. <laughs> wow. I got a medicab, medicabbed off into the change rooms. And... For the next half an hour, I'm awake, but I don't remember anything until I come to half an hour later and my, my dad's in the shed. So that's the first thing I remember, talking to my dad in the shed. And I remember thinking how scary it was to know that I was awake. I had, not, I got, I had zero memory of what was happening. I didn't know how I got to the change rooms. I didn't know I, got, I, didn't even know I got, got a medicabbed off. Mm. Um, I didn't even know I was snoring. I didn't, all that stuff I didn't know. So it, it wasn't something back then that you talk a lot about, like I was a concussion. I played the next week, there was nothing, like life goes on. Whereas now, we're only just starting to hear the seriousness of, you know, injuring the brain. It's not just a, we never thought of it as an injury. We just thought it was just a, okay, well, you know, I'm feeling a bit dusty at the moment. I'll be sweet, keep playing. But um, yeah, it's interesting to hear the, the research come out now about how, how dangerous it is and how like vital it can be to. Yeah, mm. yeah. And, you know, that's a, uh, that's the thing when we see players that are getting knocked out on the field, they're on autopilot, some of them, you know. And yeah. we've, we've probably experienced too, like I've experienced a, a, a winger that was next to me get knocked out, still play a full game, but then walks up to me after the shower and say, how did we get here? And I'm like, what? You know, we played like 60 minutes of, yeah. of yeah. football and he said, I don't remember any of it. So I'm like, how does this bloke, he's on autopilot, he's, yeah. not, he's not there. But his body is is, is moving right. and reacting to the catches, making tackles, scoring tries. But he's like, I don't remember. Your whole career would be like, because my first half of my career was like that. Then he, and then the rules started coming in, and we've obviously given it a lot more attention. But the first half of my career, and that would have been probably your whole career, if you got, if you got concussed on the field, it's there's no way you're coming off. It's just you shake it off and you yeah. stay on the field, unless it was you're you're out. Yeah, but if you got an, a head knock or a concussion, you just shake it off and you just try to like make do. And it was never something you come off the field for. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, people struggle to understand now, like when you, because the guys that played in your era, they they would have gone a whole career of just shaking it off. Yeah. Whereas now, at least the guys are starting to understand. You know, get off, get assessed. If it's no good, stay off. The boys are understanding that pl- rather than I just need to be out there, understand. Okay, well, I've got to make sure I'm not doing anything stupid that could affect my long term health. And yeah. You're right, because back then, I came in in the late 90s, early 2000s, and there was no concussion or HIA or nothing. Yeah. But I remember if if you were a player that got knocked out and you wanted to get off the field, you are considered soft. Yeah. S- so that jeopardised your position as a player in the side because boys would go, not all of them, but a certain amount, I don't want to go to war with him because he's soft. Yeah. You know, he gets knocked out. He wants, or he yeah, gets hurt. Right. He wants to go off the field. I don't want those followers. I need tough followers. So, you get told that, and you know you would um, actually try and fight it. So you know you'd try to say I'm all right. I'm all right. But for 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 me, 
coming into the back end of my career and then all these protocols were, were starting to come in. And you see today with the players, you know, they, they stay down now and it, it's good that, you know, they're getting this um, um, education on concussion and how bad it is because uh, we're seeing a lot of um, ex-athletes and Dr. Andrew Gardner, who I work with within this study, he does have another study. He's researching on players, ex-players, looking at their brain function and doing studies on him. So there's been a lot of ex-players from the 70s, 80s, I think in the 60s as well, that have been using him. He's got a clinic up in Newcastle at the Mater Hospital mm. and he goes through all these testing. Right. And I've, I've actually gave a few players numbers to Andrew that had come to me, Arkson, you know, who's his follower, which is Andrew. And they would say, you know, I, I, I'm losing my memory, you know, I'm going crazy. And it would affect their lifestyle and their family. And they would go and do these tests. And I would see him, you know, in the next week or two. And they'll be nearly in tears because they thought that they were going crazy and that they were, were struggling and having that same diagnosis, what everyone's talking about and losing memory. But all it was is that, you know, it was just a short-term memory thing where you just do some brain training. So you think about it when you wake up in the morning, you might misplace the keys and you scratch your head and you go, man, where are those keys, you know? Mm. Like, mm. I, I thought I'd mis I put them there, but I just misplaced them. Mm. You know, that's just a short-term memory. But players would actually think I'm going crazy because I got concussed in 1994 right. at that time. And that's why I'm, I'm, I can't remember where I put my keys. So he's helping players actually, um, you know, uh, with that situation. Plus, you got to look at as well. He's looking at the drug and the alcohol, you know, and the hard partying as well, or if it's something that's hereditary as well. So he's doing all these tests now to mm. where, you know, he's he's trying to not rule out that concussions uh, are causing you know brain deficiencies in athletes, but what is their lifestyle in that yeah. <laughs> in that era as well? Mm. Mm. What advice would you give to young people who uh, may be athletes or actually any industry and starting out in their career, finishing high school, figuring out what they want to do that with their life? What, what advice would you give some of the young guys out there? Um, you know, um, dream big and whatever dream that is. Um, you know, don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it because... Um, the biggest thing is that I got told a lot of times that I couldn't do it and I did have a reflection and, you know, pondered on it. Mm. But if, if God's given you a gift, then, you know, you got to use it. Mm. And if you've got a calling, you know, and that's your calling to do it, then go and do it. But the biggest thing is, is not look for affirmation from everyone except for your loved ones first. And then the next biggest thing is, is giving it to God because yeah. if he's put something in you that's just burning inside of you and you want to go and do it, but it's it's something that's the impossible because mm. God's all about the impossible. Mm. He, he, yeah. he, he, does big, yeah. he does big things, you know, he, he big miracles. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's something that... Um, we as as Christians always got to go back to you know looking you know at the at the Bible and looking at the big breakthroughs you know and then even look at in our lives you know our churches you know the, mm. the breakthroughs they have to go through it's all around us you know and I think you can get 
you get some fire from that. Yeah. You can get some passion from that and, you know, it can can stir you up inside to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, that's gold. T, mate, thank you so much. I could honestly, we could sit here for another two hours. Yeah. He's got so much gold nuggets <laughs> there and so much wisdom there for some people out there. I really appreciate your time, man, and um, we're wishing you all the best. We're looking forward to following you know, your next chapter and, and your new research as well very closely. I know it's starting to lose attraction with Fox. Came, there was a bit of a story on Fox coming out recently. I know you're doing a bit more with some other media channels that talk ESPN. about it. So, yeah, mm. so we'll follow it closely. But uh, thanks again for your time, T. Yes, thank you. And for everyone else out there, thanks for joining us on the Spirit of Sport right here on 1170 SEN. You can hear the program Sundays 5.30 to 7 a.m. and 9 p.m. to midnight. Don't forget, you can hear it on both 1170 SEN and 2CH DAB Plus, along with the SEN app. Catch you all next time. Uh, thank you. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's, together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only. Benny Little. Thank you. It's Maya Zahu. I'm Tim Anna. See you guys next time.